He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is easily the most familiar psalm um, in, in our Old Testament Bibles. It's evident most of you have already flipped to Psalm 23 just, just hearing it read. It's familiar to believers, to those who have given themselves to the Word to study it. It's also one of those psalms that's familiar um, outside of the church, so those who rarely look at, at the Word of God will, will see this psalm from time to time. It's a beloved psalm, I think, because it's just a, a beautiful poem. It's a beautiful s- song that David has penned here. It's one of those that's popular for a greeting card. It's popular at a funeral, and rightfully so. It's popular in those moments of difficulty that you would say to someone to give them strength. And there's a sense in which just hearing it read, it becomes almost real in your life, doesn't it? It strengthens you just, just hearing it read. And while it's popular in all those ways, a lot of people end up not preaching on the text. And it's not that it's never done, it is some, and it's not that it's a real difficult text, but when you come to preach on it, I think the same thing that makes it so popular is the same thing that makes it a little bit frightening to preach. And that's just because the psalm is so personal. It's intensely personal with this experience between you and your God. And to spend much time in study in it, even this week, it, you go quickly from dissecting it and trying to understand how it's all fitting together to where it just begins to rest on your heart. And these words, these true begin to, truths begin to expose in this real kind of raw, authentic way your relationship with God. And so when you come to preach it, you almost feel like you're opening up your journal and preaching out of that. And that can be a bit scary. It's easier to kind of hold God over here and here's what we see, here's what we know about him, let's talk about it. Instead of bringing that in real close and tight in an intimate personal relationship you and God. You can see the personal rela- uh, relationship, how intimate it is. When you read the psalm, you'll notice there's no ours or we's or us's. It's all mine, me, I. Often when God is referred to as a shepherd, it is the shepherd with the flock. But here it's very much the shepherd with an individual sheep. And these claims are David's claims, these claims are my claims, they are your claims. That the Lord is my shepherd. So as we go through it, we will take some time and we will explain it and go through the passage in a way, but don't hold it at an arm's length of just looking at it. But embrace the authentic Christian relationship that it exposes. Let yourself reevaluate how you look at how you understand your relationship with God based on how this psalm informs us. 
And if you feel like, man, there is just no intimate, close relationship, look at this psalm and let it create in your heart a longing to know your shepherd, that you can turn and not just say, you know, our God out there, but you can say, my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. We're simply just going to walk through the text here. You can even see with the picture behind me, and uh, when most people think of the psalm, they think that it explains God in one way and explains him as the shepherd. And that is true, and we'll spend most of our time there this morning, but the psalm moves a little bit as you go through it, and it explains God as the shepherd, explains God as the host, and it also explains God as the pursuer. So that you can say at the end, God is my shepherd, God is my host, God is my pursuer. We'll see how that theme develops through here. So we start with the first one, the Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean for my relationship with God? First of all, before we get into text too much, you realize David's writing this from the perspective of a sheep. All right? So you're the sheep in this. And I just find it interesting that, you know, like David doesn't write from the perspective of, like, a, I don't know, a horse, like a stallion that's got, like, some nobleness and some strength and some quality to it, or, like, an eagle who has, like, a symbol of majestic. Or He writes from a sheep, perspective of a sheep. And a sheep, I mean, basically is a dumb, stinky animal. And so I don't think David's trying to communicate that you're dumb and stinky. But he is communicating this, that a sheep is totally dependent upon that shepherd. He's dependent upon that shepherd to provide for it, to protect it, to lead it. <laughs> so when David writes as a sheep, when we say, the Lord is my shepherd, you're calling yourself the sheep. One who is totally dependent. One who needs God. So remember that as we go through it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The first thing we see right off the bat is that our shepherd provides for us. The shepherd provides for his sheep. He says, I shall not want. That doesn't have the idea of that if the Lord is your shepherd, then therefore you don't have any desires or you have everything that you want. I think Psalm uh, 34, verses 9 and 10, if you want to jot that down, gives us a little better explanation of, uses the same phrase there, the same wording as I shall not want, but this is how it's interpreted there. It says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack, have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Same word there, just explained in a little different way. So having no want means that you lack no good thing. It doesn't mean that you have everything that you want and you have it right when you want it. It doesn't even mean that there's not things that you need that you feel like you're not getting in the timing that is right for you. What it's saying is, with God as your shepherd, you lack no good thing in the moment that you need it. Here's how the logic works in this passage. The Lord is, I shall. Because the Lord is, therefore, I shall. That's the way it works. So, it's not taking it and doing it this way. Like, okay, let's evaluate everything I have and don't have. 
after I evaluate it, then I'll tell you what kind of shepherd God is. It's going the other way. Here's the fact that never changes. The Lord is my shepherd. And because that guaranteed is this, I lack no good thing that is necessary for me. When we think of it that way and we begin to embrace that the Lord is my shepherd, I want that personal experience. I want that personal relationship. It should begin to kind of change and transform your perspective on what you have and you don't have. That you don't begin to look at, here's my life situation, here's the spiritual blessings, here's the physical blessings, the relationship blessings that I have, and based on that I'm going to decide what sort of shepherd God is. Is he really providing for my needs? It doesn't work that way. This the Lord is my shepherd, and based on that, I embrace what he's given me as good and necessary and what I need. So it's based on that, then, that we'll understand the rest of this psalm, that it works that way. The Lord is, so I shall. Because the Lord is, guaranteed, therefore I shall. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We see that he doesn't just provide barely for you, but he provides an abundant kindness. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It helps if you understand shepherding a little bit in that, uh, in, in the biblical geographical time frame. Probably aren't too many shepherds here among us. It's not like a real popular uh, job these days. But a lot of shepherds back then, there's a lot about shepherds. They play an important role through the Old Testament and New Testament. God takes on that um, description of himself often in the Old Testament as the shepherd. David himself writing this psalm, we know he grew up as a shepherd. And when we think of being a shepherd in those times, it's probably best to like kind of get out of your mind that flannel graph picture from Sunday school where it's like the green rolling hills, like one tree on top of the hill, David leaning against it, playing the harp. Like, it's a bit different than that. Um, The topography, the region there would be really rough. It's going to be rocky. It's going to be dry. It's going to be a terrain that is not suited for easy shepherding. And so when they did shepherding there, it wasn't just, you know, here's my beautiful field. It was more nomadic type of shepherding where they're wandering through the fields, wandering great distances, and they're feeding on small little areas of grass or little tufts of grass looking for where some water has collected. They eat what they can, drink what they can there, and keep moving on. And that's basically the way the shepherding would work. And if you could come upon a place where, oh man, there's a pasture big enough that it'll at least feed my sheep completely and water for them to drink and be filled in. Now I found, you know, this is the jackpot. I found it here. But then it goes even beyond that. If here David's describing the sheep have come, they found this green pasture, they fed on it, and now they're laying down to rest by the water. When they wake back up, they'll feed on it again. The cool, gentle water that's flowing for them. And so it's a picture of abundance, a picture of, of, of kindness from God. 
The shepherd would be so thrilled to find that abundance for his sheep. So David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. There's that relationship. He provides. I lack nothing that is good for me. But it's not like you just barely get by and God is, is barely blessing you. You think of all that you have in God. You think of the amount of blessing, and not just physical blessings, but relationships, the spiritual blessings. We can become such a spoiled people that all we focus on is what we do not have and what we would love to have and what the person beside us has that we don't have. And we forget the abundance and the kindness with which our shepherd treats us. We lack nothing that is good for us, and we have it in abundance, and we have it in sweet kindness from our Savior. So it should, in a quick application, reorient our thinking in a couple ways. One is that we focus on what we do have, not always on what we don't have. Man, that makes for a complaining people. It's really a lot easier to have a conversation where you're just complaining about, here's what I need, here's what happened, here's what I don't have. You don't hear nearly as many conversations of, listen to what God has done for me. Listen to what God is doing for me. Listen to how God is providing for me. Focusing on what God has done for you, not just on what you think you want, what you think you need. And secondly, that you remember you're a sheep in those moments still, that when you do experience the abundance and the blessing of God, that it doesn't drive you away from God and that you now become thoughtless and thankless and proud. John Calvin says it this way. He talks about the abundance and the blessing of God raining down upon you. And he says, don't let it be like a blanket that just is piling up upon you and now it's clouding your view from God and you're just loving and suffocated by all the blessings. Instead, let those things work as a ladder. That they fall down, and as you get your blessings, you continue to climb them nearer and nearer and nearer to God. So you evaluate in the abundance that God has given you. Are you a thankful person? Does it draw you close to God? Or does all it do is just push you into complaining, comparing? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He provides in abundance. He provides in kindness. And we see that he provides restoration for the soul. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And that's, I think, kind of when people think of this psalm, what draws them to it, what they long for is that picture of the green pastures, the still waters, and a refreshment, a restoration of soul. Do you ever feel sometimes like your spirit is just like broken? Like the pressures, the anxieties of life are kind of piling up and suffocating you? People will say it in different ways, like it just knocks the wind right out of your sails or knocks the legs out from underneath of you. And you just feel like, man, my stomach is in knots. I can't think clearly. I just feel so burdened and so heavy. 
Most of you are probably thinking of a specific example either in your past or maybe something you're living in right now. You're like, oh, I would just die for that. Finally, just have it all go away and have the, the green pastures and have the cool stream flowing. Just be restored and refreshed. But yet, so often what we do is we turn anywhere but to the shepherd to find that restoration and refreshment. This is where it becomes incredibly personal in my own life. And so as I share it, I I look and I think some of these are true in my life. I think they're true in other people's. Where do we turn? And it's not to like some disgusting pleasure that we turn instead of God. But it's to things like security and control. You know, if I just had a little more security, if I knew how this was going to end up, if I could just get past this little stage of my life into the next, you know, if my finances were just enough, I mean, I'm not looking to be rich, just enough that I know how every bill is going to get paid for the next few months. That I just, and we long for that security and that control instead of resting on the truth that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore, There's nothing I lack that is good for me. You see, what brings the grass and the cool water is not the absence of problem, the absence of conflict. We're getting ready to go through the valley of the shadow of death here in a moment. It's not the absence of those things. It's nearness to God and embracing that the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing that is good for me. Another place we can often turn is to affirmation or recognition. If someone would just affirm that what I'm doing is good, would just recognize all that I'm doing right now, if, I, if, if people would just, if I could get man's approval, man's affirmation, I would feel so much better about what I'm doing. I wouldn't be second-guessing myself all the time. Instead of, again, turning to the shepherd to be restored, to be renewed. If you're like that, if you feel like, man, I'm in knots, I, I, my mind isn't thinking clearly, I, I just need refreshed and restored. It's not, let's move away and run away from all our problems and it'll be better. It's where we live, run to Jesus Christ. The shepherd who is there. The shepherd who supplies abundantly. It's a restoration, turning your hopelessness into hope. One of the ways you do that, through prayer, through the Word of God. Just a couple chapters later, um, it's Psalm 26, 27, when uh, David cries out, your, your law is perfect, your law is beautiful, refreshing the soul. Turn to God's Word, be restored by God's Word, restored by God's presence, restored through prayer. So he provides... He provides abundantly, provides restoration for the soul. We also see that the shepherd guides his sheep. We are led by God. It says in verse 3 there, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He doesn't just send you out on your own. He leads you. He is there with you. The idea of paths of righteousness can be a, a bit confusing, the literal best way to understand it is he leads you in right paths. 
He leads you in the path that is appropriate for a child of God. He leads you in the path that is appropriate for you as an individual, what you need, what is best for you in your relationship to the shepherd. So that you're not comparing your path of life with the person beside you. Theirs seems so easy, yours seems so hard. They're not on the wrong one just because theirs is easy, and you're not on the wrong one just because yours is hard. He leads you in right paths. That what is that which is perfect and necessary to accomplish your good so that you'll lack nothing. So it's not just the idea of he leads you in a path of morality. That would be included, obviously, in a right path. But it's beyond just the idea of a, a moral morality. And it's into the right path that is going to accomplish God's purpose in your life. Often we, it, it's determining the will of God is something that, I mean, lots of books are written on and everybody kind of wants some magic potion to know the will of God. And, you know, it's, it's an, something that I think we throw around a bit too easily. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not coming to church this morning. It's not God's will, I don't feel. And, you know, it can become a quick, easy excuse for us. But God leads us in right paths for our life. You know, there's three things he gives us, and you, you know these. They're the simplest application there is. The Holy Spirit, the Word, and prayer. But the problem is, is that, like, we're not interested in those three things. We want something different. And it's not that, you know, we've worn out the Word and we've worn out prayer and, you know, we've had that experience with the Holy Spirit and that didn't work, so let's move on to the next step. It's, you know, we just want someone, a quick, easy, you know, throw the fleece out, like the story of Gideon. And if it's soaking wet in the morning, then I'll do it. If not, you see, you see David, Psalm 25 his prayer, make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in truth and teach me. You have the promises of Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word and prayer are where we run to know the right paths. There's a book we've gone through a long time ago in one of our small groups, and it's called Just Do Something. And it's examining God's will. And, you know, you give yourself to the word and prayer, but you're not going to open up a verse that tells you, like, what college to go to or open up a verse that, you know, tells you if you should rent or buy. And that's when you embrace and you trust because the Lord is, therefore, there's nothing that I need that I'm not going to have. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he will lead me in the right path for me. You give yourself to the Word. You give yourself to prayer. And you just do something following the Holy Spirit. It's that personal relationship. They're not like three simple applications to just ignore. That's where it is. So he leads us in the right paths, and we're quickly to see in verse 4 what that includes it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
This text could be read this in verse 3 to 4. He leads me in paths of righteousness, even the valley of the shadow of death. It's not like the green pasture is the right path. You got off course and you're in the valley. And no, this is God as your shepherd leading you on the path that is right for you. And sometimes that takes you through the valley. The word here for valley is not, again, we're not talking like the lush green valley. It's more of a gorge with the rocky cliffs and blocking the sun. Not a lot of growth, not a lot going on down there. A good hiding place for predators. And you begin to think, okay, why is God like leading me into this valley? Like what is the shepherd's purpose? And if he's like so concerned about taking care of the sheep, why is he bringing me there? I think, again, looking back at the example of a shepherd, it's a good way to understand. The shepherd in that biblical geography, that biblical era, as we talked about, they're feeding on these little tufts of grass they have here. It's time to travel, leaving kind of their home base and now beginning their nomadic journey. Very often that meant crossing through the valley, crossing through that, that danger, dangerous area facing hardships. It's not that the shepherd abandons them to the valley. It's not like they just got lost and now he's looking for them and is going to run down to the valley and get them. The Lord is leading them. It says the Lord is with me. Even though he takes me through that valley of the shadow of death. Really dark, difficult, hard times. And it's not pointless. The shepherds didn't just bring them into the valley just for the adventure. They did it so they could come up the other side and find some new lush green pastures. It's what was best for those sheep. So same same thing is true with our heavenly Father, my shepherd. He doesn't just lead us through hard times and it's just pointless. It's not simply to survive. It's not go in, just survive, and get back out, and everything will be normal. It's you go through it, and it's a transforming time. It's a purposeful time. When you come out, you come out on the other side where the green pastures are. The cool water flows. For some of you, that valley might be 10 minutes. For some of you, that valley might be most your life. That's the path. Here's what you can embrace. It's not purposeless. Don't go through the valleys. We've said this before. Don't go through the valleys thinking all I need to do is just survive and get back to normal. God doesn't take you through hard times to get back to normal. He takes you through hard times to change you from one degree of glory to the next, to change you in the image of Christ, to sharpen you, to refine. Survival And routine shouldn't be your only goal in the midst of the valley. It is change to become more like Christ. Even in that valley, in the midst of the hardship, he says, I will not fear. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So he doesn't fear because God is with him. You can picture that shepherd going through and those sheep just clamoring at his knees, staying close as they go through. It says, his, my rod, or your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd carried two tools with him, 
the staff is the one you probably kind of think of. It's like a big cane. Some people call it a crook. And that, that was what they would use either as a walking stick for themselves or to help guide the sheep. You know, they could hook a sheep, kind of pull it towards them, gently prod it, and that keeps everything going in the right direction. So it has the idea of providing protection and comfort. That was a comfort to the sheep. They didn't buck away at that, but it meant the shepherd was near. We're going in the right direction. He's keeping us close. It's like in our own relationship with God. So much times happens. He, he has to draw us back, draw us near, guiding us in the right direction. One I like is the rod. The rod is better thought of as a club. And this is a weapon. It's an offensive weapon. You read about it in other places in the Old Testament, and like these clubs are used, they can kill people. David talks about using one of these to kill bears, to kill lions. And I love this image of God that so we think about God as our shepherd, and he's not just only a, just a warm, cuddly shepherd who's you know, just holding and petting his sheep. He's a fierce warrior who's going to overcome the enemy. In the valley of the shadow of death, you, you don't want just like a, a cuddly leader. You want someone who can go on the offensive, someone who can overcome the enemy. Listen to how uh, David, 1 Samuel, you remember he, he wants to go fight Goliath. So he goes to his Philistines and let me fight Goliath. Saul gives him a questioning look and asks for any reason why I should let you do that. I mean, so David calls on his experience as a shepherd. 1 Samuel seventeen thirty four through 36. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. This is his answer. Why should you let me go beat Goliath? Because I used to watch sheep. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him. And I delivered him out of his mouth. And if the lion arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And that's David's description of a shepherd. <laughs> that is our shepherd. How come I'm not going to fear any evil? It seems overwhelming to me. My shepherd is powerful. He is not afraid, and I am not afraid. Martin Luther, when he read um, the Psalms and looking at uh, God as a shepherd, describes it as this, that it describes God in his fierce tenderness. And you think, where does that fierce tenderness reach its pinnacle. It's at the cross, isn't it? Where the fierce wrath of God poured out on the sins of mankind to finally give the death blow to Satan, overcome evil, overcome death, put it all away. Nothing can stand against God. Yet it meets that tenderness where Jesus Christ in love intercepts all of that wrath for you. Before we leave the shepherd and look at the host and the pursuer, and those will only take just a moment, they're much quicker. 
I want to think of the shepherd in redemptive history. Even from the early stages in the, the Exodus, Israel looks to their shepherd to move them out. In Exodus, it talks about that. As they wander through the wilderness, as they wander towards green pastures, Exodus 15 even says. In Numbers, it's that God is bringing them to give them rest. In Deuteronomy, it talks as they come through that wilderness that they will lack nothing that is good for them. Looking back, the prophets will look at Israel and their wanderings and their exiles, and they'll call it, reading through Psalm 23, that they have passed through the valley of the shadow. You see God in the redemption as the shepherd leading and protecting. Then you come to the New Testament. In John 10, you have Jesus stand up and proclaim, I am the good shepherd. And what's he doing? He's claiming deity. Those Pharisees, those judgmental people looking at Jesus who hated him, they knew their Old Testament scriptures. They knew when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, that's me. I am God. And then shortly after it, what does he say about the good shepherd? The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Ultimately, why can we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil? Because Jesus has defeated it. He's defeated it on the cross. The victory's been won already. In his fierce tenderness, he has overcome sin with the greatest act of love ever. He has dealt the death blow to Satan. and At the same time, demonstrated you love and tenderness beyond measure. We see Jesus as the good shepherd. We see him in 1 Peter as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So the Lord is my shepherd. Quickly, we'll look at the Lord as my host. And we come down to verse 5. We see that it kind of is switching imageries here. We're still in the valley of the shadow. We're still in the midst of the enemy. But no longer is it picturing God as a shepherd. It's as a host. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The, the imagery here is fairly simple. In the midst of trial and persecution, in the midst of enemies, God is still abundantly kind. That's the cup overflowing. And he's still blessing you richly. That's the oil that he's anointing your head with. And you see that his abundant kindness and his blessing has nothing to do with not facing adversity or facing enemies. He's preparing the table in the presence of those enemies. What he's saying is that cannot steal your joy. That cannot steal your peace. There's a couple different ways of looking at it. Some people think that the, the enemies, that this is like a celebratory meal. The enemies have been defeated and now it's captives. They're watching you in the celebratory meal. Others look at it a little more as the enemy is all around, but you are still enjoying life. You're still enjoying your God's presence with you. They can't steal your joy and your peace. I think standing behind it all is what we've been learning in Revelation, what we learned in Ephesians, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness and the domain of darkness. When you think of persecution, when you think of an enemy or you think of trials, most likely you're able to either attach a name with it, a face with it, 
an event with it. That's not your real enemy. What stands behind it is the great deceiver who's looking to turn you away from your shepherd that you'll take off on your own path, looking to steal your joy, steal that peace that comes with dining with this host, even in the midst of hardship. The presence of your enemies. Satan fits both those rules, doesn't he? The defeated, we learned in Revelation, he's been defeated, yet he's active. God will finally put him away one day. So we're left with God as our host to remember this, that hardship, enemies, things rising up against you cannot steal your joy and your peace and your security if it's resting in Jesus Christ, if it's resting in God. If it's resting in things, if it's resting in control and security and affirmation and all that, it can be gone like that. But if it's resting in your shepherd and your host, it can't be stolen. I find it really interesting as you go through this psalm. The psalmist refers to in verses 1 through 3 and then back again in verse 6.